what was the, the coolest thing about Light Up the Streets, Liberty Park on Halloween night, the day where darkness is kind of exalted in our city. We got to exalt the name of Jesus right there in the heart of our city. And as we've been preaching through the blueprint and going through the book of Acts, you know, we, we saw in chapter two, God poured out his spirit and there was this mighty sound that erupted and the city, we, we preached on this a few weeks ago, did what? The city actually drew near to the sound of God's people experiencing a move of the Holy Spirit. And we set up out there last week and just during rehearsal, I'm not kidding, like just as we were warming up and trying to just figure things out on the worship side front, like people were just coming to the sound. It was wild. Like literally probably a half dozen or a dozen testimonies of people that said, literally came up to us in the park and said, I heard the sound from the parking lot and I just came. Or literally one lady heard the sound from her house a few blocks away from Liberty Park and walked to the sound of us worshiping, had been new to town, was looking for a church in the city and found us worshiping in Liberty Park on Halloween. And so, so, if you were there and singing loud and being a part of it, thank you for just coming. It matters that in these days there is a bold lampstand witness of Jesus in this hour. Because how many of you guys know that the world is being flagrant and being bold about the darkness? Have you noticed? We don't live in an age where we hide darkness in our closets anymore. We are living in an age where darkness is being celebrated and normalized and we're being actually told, that's not darkness, that's just tolerance. That's just love is love or whatever it is. We're just being told that there is actually no difference between darkness and the light. And it's more important than ever that the church is a bold lampstand, light on the table, in our, in our world. Do you know what I'm saying, church? So thanks for being there. It was a blast. Um, man, I am uh, excited about these next three weeks. I gotta tell you, Kelly was saying, um, between now and Thanksgiving, um, we are landing this eight-week series that we've been going through about the blueprint. Uh, basically, the, the New Testament church is the household of God. Every house is not built off the desires of the builders or whoever shows up that day to to swing a hammer. It's built off the desire of the owner who works and creates a blueprint, a design for the house. And so if we're gonna build a house of God that is true to God's heart and his desires, then we've gotta build it off the blueprint of his word, amen? And so in this season where Antioch Salt Lake, we've been kind of regathering and reestablishing who are we as a church, we've been going through um, the book of Acts and we've been trying to get really clear on what is God's, the word of God's blueprint for his house. We're not showing up saying, hey, what neat, cool thing can we like, try to do in 2021 for the church. We're like, no, God has actually already told us what his house is supposed to look like and feel like and what it's supposed to be built upon. And so I say to our team every week, we're not 
preaching, just preaching sermons. We're not just doing church. We are actually creating, we're defining and creating culture. And so hold up the little uh, orange, highlighter orange thing on your, on your chair because we're sending you home with what we have so far, the language that we have so far as we're building this. This language is not set in stone but it, yet, but it is here to stay because we're defining. God's meeting us in his scripture and he's showing us some core elements to a healthy house of God. Here, what we have so far is encounter. We live for a passion for God's presence. Transformation occurs as we get to know him personally and experience him powerfully. How many of you felt something different in the atmosphere of this room when you walked in this, this afternoon or when you worshiped with the people of God this afternoon? It feels different in here, amen, than when you go to Subway or, or Starbucks or something else because guess what? Authority determines atmosphere, and we are building a house where God is the lead authority. And so when you come into this place, you're gonna encounter something that we call his presence. All that means is that God is close. He's not far away. He's not distant. Jesus didn't spill his blood so that we could wonder if God loves us and try to feel him from a distance. God is, he's a very present God. And when we build his house after his heart, you will come into his house and he will be close. And so we're, we have a passion to encounter his, pre, his presence. We see in the blueprint that we encounter God together, that revival doesn't happen because a couple people got excited, but because the body of Christ all got together and worshiped the Lord and there was a move of God that happened amongst a community. That's where we get the word togetherness, faith. We see the early church moving boldly in the name of Jesus. I love this, it says, in the name of Jesus, we believe for big things from a big God. Our level of expectation will determine our level of encounter and not the other way around. That we constantly have to press into believing what we cannot see because that's the part of the kingdom that we've been brought into, amen? Empowerment. Every single person in the body of Christ has been empowered with a gift. If we don't all bring them together, we cannot build what God wants to build on the earth. I, look, I, I get that we're on the American church and I'm standing on a stage where honestly right now I can barely even see you because the other people that use this venue point these lights straight in our face. And so I don't even know if anybody's at church today. I'm just preaching by faith that there's people in the crowd. Come up here. These lights are so bright. It is impossible to have, a, I can't even see your eyes, babe. I see the white of your teeth smiling at me, okay? But listen, sorry, I'm just having some fun. Can we have some fun at church? Let's go, guys. Just loosen up, okay? We're, we have to, I know we're in the American church where we've been told that the only important people are the worship leaders and the pastors that get on the stage and dress cool. Can we just say that the only and the main and only attraction of God's house should be Jesus and Jesus alone, okay? So, so look, if I'm preaching faithfully the word of God and you wanna keep coming back because you love the word of God and you love the presence of Jesus, then keep coming back, okay? But don't come back because of a guy on a stage or something. We all have to be a part of building this thing together. That's why we're empowering the saints here at Antioch Salt Lake. Obedience. We're gonna talk about this some more tonight. We advance our Father's kingdom through joyful obedience to his lordship. Submission takes back ground 
that disobedience relinquished to the enemy. You'll see right here on the side, coming soon, grace, holiness, and generosity. That's the next three weeks. And so I want you to flip to John chapter one as we continue in the blueprint because we're gonna, sorry, that got loud. We're gonna preach the next two Sundays on grace and holiness but we're gonna preach them together. So it's not like grace this week and holiness next week. There might be a little bit of a leaning towards the grace of God this week and the holiness next week, but they have to preach together. And I'm gonna unpack why in a second, but I want you to read with me in John chapter one, and then we're gonna pray and uh, get into the word of God. Anybody thankful for the word of God? It is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Thank you, Jesus. You haven't left us to ourselves. John 1, 9 through 18 says this. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him speaking of the Jewish people, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Somebody say grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received, somebody say grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, say it with me again here, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, Jesus, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. I came to tell you tonight that it is only by grace upon grace upon grace of God through Jesus Christ that any man can be saved from the curse and bondage and tyranny of sin and come into the new life and freedom that is found as a child of God. Come on, anybody testify that it is only by the grace of God that though you once were lost, anybody lost, used to be lost, then you were found. Once you were broken, now you're getting healed up. Once you were a slave, now you're getting set free. That it is only by the grace of God that anyone can come into the family of God. It is only by grace that we're rescued from darkness and adopted. The Bible actually says that he reached in. I know there's a baby crying. It's cool. I got five of them. So I'm laser focused right now. Are you? Okay, look. The God of the universe reached into darkness, okay? Because that's where you came from and that's where you lived, okay? And he rescued you up and out of darkness. And Colossians actually says he transferred you, okay? That means he picked you up out of that nasty place where you were loving Satan and all your sin. And he transferred you and he set you down 
into the kingdom of his beloved son through whom you were forgiven, washed, redeemed of all that junk that was going on here in the darkness. And it was only by grace that you were saved and picked up out of the place. It is only the grace of God that can rescue a man out of darkness. I also came to tell you tonight that once you are in God's family, once you are in this kingdom, that it is only the grace of God that can empower you as a child of God to become holy as he is holy. But that once you're a child in his family, the invitation from the Father is to not stay like you once were, but to progress on to be like he is making you to be holy. I came to tell you tonight that salvation is by grace alone through faith in the blood of Jesus. And I came to tell you tonight that over here, this journey called sanctification is by grace alone through the faith in Jesus. Okay, but look, the difference is that over here in your salvation, you were dead in this place of darkness. Dead men don't do a lot. So you actually had nothing to do with your salvation. The grace of God worked for you to save you. But now that you've been made alive and transferred into the kingdom of God, made alive as a child of God, what grace worked for you, you had nothing to do with over there. Now, as a child of God, grace, check this out, works in you, and grace works with you to be sanctified. That means to be made holy. Look at me, church. Listen, you had nothing to do with the grace of God that saved you. But look, if you miss this next part, you will be confused and struggling your whole life. You have everything to do with partnering with the grace of God and being sanctified. Let me say it again because nobody's cheering yet, and everybody's looking like, is that a good thing, or did he just preach heresy? Okay, look, the grace of God, when you were dead in your sin, did what you could not do for yourself. You had nothing to do it. It rescued you and saved you, and it worked completely for you. You had nothing to do with it. But now, in God's family as a child, you actually have to partner with God's grace through obedience to grow in holiness and to become more like God. That's what's called sanctification. To be sanctified just means to be made holy. So I've got news for you, and hopefully this isn't brand new news, or else what have we been preaching, and not just here, but everywhere, right? God didn't save you so that you could just go to heaven one day and, and still live a messed up life looking like the darkness. He actually saved you to sanctify you, to make you like him, holy. And so this is the beautiful, beautiful grace of God. The word grace appears 178 times in the Word of God. 60 of the, grace or gracious. 60 of them are in the Old Testament, and 118 of them are in the New Testament. And the word grace, 
means it's God's loving kindness, his unmerited favor. The grace of God is his merciful love poured out through Jesus for the humble, the weak, the broken, the sinner, the poor in spirit. Do you know that every major New Testament letter by the Apostle Paul and everything written by Jesus' three best friends, Peter, James, and John, all talk about the grace of God and all call us into holiness and obedience. The reason why I am preaching grace and holiness together over the next two weeks is because if you preach the grace of God without a call unto obedience and and holiness, then you end up with what we call carnal Christians. Carnal Christians are very confusing to the world because they claim the name of Jesus and yet they look nothing like Jesus. And so if you preach grace without holiness, people will jump at the incredible offer of salvation. I mean, it's the good news. It's the best news. But then they cling to their flesh and they stop short of God's clear calling unto sanctification. Are you with me? If we preach grace without a call to holiness. If we preach holiness without grace, check this out, then you create these religious tyrants who name the name of Jesus but know nothing of his heart of mercy. If you've, encountered, if you've never encountered the grace of God, you will never be able to show that same grace to other people. And so this creates Pharisees that confuse the world by claiming to be holy while completely missing the mercy seat of God. Are you with me, church? They're so focused on building their self-righteousness through comparison, oh, come on, that they are incapable of seeing others through the eyes of God's grace. Grace and holiness, this is the gospel. And every single New Testament author preaches grace and holiness together. I'm going to give you the most concise version of my testimony that I can find in the New Testament scripture. And I'm going to show you the grace of God in every single New Testament book. I'm about to preach. You better, I I forgot a verse. Can we throw up real quick? This is my encouragement because y'all are looking, I know I'm bringing some heat and it's about to get a little bit hotter, but look, I want you to look at Psalm 111, verse two. Can we get that verse up here? Okay, check this out. It says, great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in him. Look, I am going deep tonight and next week, and so this is my encouragement to you. Please take notes, okay? Delight in the works of God, and unless you can get up here and preach this message, I'm not saying you can't, but I'm saying take some notes, because this is my hope and belief for what's gonna happen tonight and next week, okay? Some of us are stuck spiritually because we've gotten confused between grace and holiness. Some of us are stagnated spiritually because we've lost clarity on the grace of God and our call to obey God. And we're gonna spend the next two Sundays getting theologically and biblically crystal clear 
And here is my hope for you. I believe this. And God has been speaking some stuff to our team. I believe that God, you are gonna get unstuck. That, that the next couple of weeks for this house, if you're coming into under this body, something's gonna click for you in your spiritual growth. I believe that this word the word of God has the ability to literally launch you into a whole new season of spiritual growth. And so please take notes. It's biblical. Greater the works of the Lord, right? Studied by those who delight in him. I believe that this will really help you out if you dig deep into grace and holiness over the next couple of weeks. If you're with me, say, I'm with you, preacher. Oh man, that was a pretty weak response right there. I got four of y'all. It's okay. It's okay. I'll try again in a minute, okay? Um, so Titus 3, 3 through 7. I want you to go. This is the shortest, most concise version of my testimony that I can find in the Bible, all right? It's not just about me, by the way. This is about all y'all in the room too, even though I can't even tell if there's four of y'all out there. Okay. Hey, what's up, brother? I see you. Okay. Look at this. For we ourselves were once foolish. Can anybody say amen? Disobedient. Can anybody say amen? Led astray. That word means deceived, okay? Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Look, look, if you struggle with pride, you need to memorize Titus 3.3 so you don't forget where you once were, okay? And look, if nobody, if you grew up and maybe you're a pretty good person most of your life, look, you still fall into Titus 3.3 and it will do your soul good to drink some humility today and understand that we ourselves were foolish, disobedient, deceived, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days. Ephesians 2 actually says that you were a son of disobedience, that you were walking hand in hand with the enemy. We're gonna get more to that in, in a second. But listen, But, verse four, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Okay, go with me. Check this out, church. Look, over here, grace in your salvation when you believe and call on the name of Jesus. And that, that John verse we read at the, at the beginning said that it gave you the right to become a child of God. Look, what grace does for you is in a moment, it justifies you, removes all of the penalty of your sin, takes it away in the blood of Christ on the cross, and it declares you, check this out, day one, Moment one, that you place your hope and faith on the blood that Jesus spilled on that cross, day one, he justifies you and says, you're holy. Ain't nothing changed about your nasty, dark life yet, okay? Because remember, that's where you were before you got saved. Ain't nothing changed about that nasty life you were living. And the second you call upon the name of the Lord, before you can turn, change one bit about you, he justifies you by his grace and says, holy. Yeah. 
grace declares you holy at the moment of salvation, then it continually draws you to actually be holy for the rest of your life, which is the journey of sanctification. Are you with me? Can you just take a minute with me, please, and just consider yourself at your worst? Can you just consider yourself at your worst before Jesus? Just who you are without Jesus. This could be before you were saved. This could be, man, some of the nasty flesh that keeps coming out of you even though you know Jesus and are saved. But can you just take a minute to consider yourself at your worst without him? This list in Titus 3 doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of who I was at my worst without Jesus. We would have to throw so many nasty other words into that Titus 3.3. Nobody would be able to memorize it. It would be too embarrassing. Now, can you consider our world at its worst for a second without Jesus? This one is easier to do. The first one's more important to do. Our world, who we are at our worst, it is heartbreaking. It is disgusting. It's despicable what human beings fallen from God are capable of doing to one another. The evil that we are capable of pursuing and embracing and then actually exalting as if it were not evil It's heartbreaking. How great is the sin of man? It is, it's embarrassing. It's disgusting. I can't even, I can't even flip through the news on my iPhone most days because I'm gonna catch some story. It happened to me this morning. Broke my heart what human beings are capable of at our worst without Jesus. And in that place, could you consider again how amazing it is that the grace of God over and over again reaches into that darkness, that the love of God's heart not for his friends, y'all, for his enemies, reaches into that darkness. And time and time again, the blood of Jesus grabs out of darkness those that have cursed his name, those that have disobeyed his holy commandments, those that have chosen to love themselves over to honor him. Time and time again, the grace of God reaches in and saves. We need a revelation of the grace of God again. Because I heard us singing, How He loves us. Oh, how He loves us. And I got to be honest, I was not that convinced standing in the back of that room. I was crying because I was, 
as soon as Hallie started singing it, I felt the love of God. Maybe that's why we weren't singing. So maybe we were all just crying, okay? But as soon as she began to sing about the love of God, I'm just saying, if we grasped the deep measure of the grace of God in Jesus Christ, do you not think that the New Testament church should be shaking the walls of this building singing about the love of God? Can I tell you what the grace of God has done for you? I'm gonna read for you out of every single book of the New Testament epistles. Not all of them, that was not entirely true. Most of them, check this out, because I want you to understand the grace of God today. Okay, listen, in the book of Romans, God's grace justifies us and gives you the free gift of righteousness. In Corinthians, God's grace makes the poor in spirit rich with every spiritual blessing. In Galatians, God's grace made a way for us to be crucified with Christ so that we could be resurrected and live in Christ. In Ephesians, God's glorious grace forgives my sin on account of his blood and breaks the chains off of my life. It's called redemption. Look, in Philippians, God's grace doesn't just make me a recipient of that grace, but a participant so that I get to tell his grace to other people that are just as broken and messed up and dark as I used to be. Look, in Colossians, the true understanding of God's grace causes my life to bear fruit. In Thessalonians, God's grace gives me eternal comfort and good hope. In Timothy, God's grace overflows and calls me into holiness. In Titus, God's grace makes me an heir of God's eternal kingdom, calls me a son and says, son, you're getting all of my kingdom one day. Look, in Hebrews, God's grace enabled Jesus to taste death for all of us so that we might draw near now, come on somebody, to the throne of his grace to find help in our time of need, strength in our time of weakness. In James, God gives grace to the humble. In Peter, God's grace empowers all of us with a gift so that we can build his church. Jude warns us not to pervert the grace of God into sensuality. What that means, it's the only grace warning in the New Testament and what it means is don't live so much over here in my grace that you think that you can just keep going and living however you want to live. Do not forget that I've called you to be a holy nation and a holy son and daughter. But look, in the very last verse of the entire New Testament, I just read you Romans through Jude after Jesus tells us that he is surely coming back quickly. Look at, literally, I, I, I encourage you, Go look up the last verse in your Bible, the last verse in your Bible, and you will find that the grace of God is with us until that day that the trumpets sound and the clouds break and we finally see the one that we have hoped for, the one that has loved us first and the one that we have called upon to save us by his grace. The grace of God is woven throughout the entire New Testament in every single book. And it is the bedrock 
and the foundation and the cornerstone of the household of God. The book of Acts doesn't happen without the grace of God. Jesus' death on the cross doesn't happen without the grace of God. How we doing? What's up? Y'all still there? (laughs) Anybody leave? All right. Not yet. It's by grace we've been saved. And it's grace that calls us into holiness. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 17. I want you to see this language here in the New Testament and then we're gonna round the corner and close here in a sec. But look at this, check this out. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is, what? You also be in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Verse 17, and if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Okay, hold on, hold on. Are you noticing the child-father language? We we, We can't miss this. Are you noticing that? Did you see it? As obedient children, God is calling you into his holiness. He says, you shall be holy for I am holy. The reason God calls us into holiness is because it's who he is and it's who he's redeemed us. He's redeemed us to restore us back into his image. And so there is no gospel without the call into holiness. There is no church without the call into holiness. And so look at this. I told you that the word grace is found 178 times Old and New Testament. The word holy, on the other hand, and I didn't even look up holiness or any other variation. I just looked up holy. It's found 611 times. I mean, that's a lot in the entire Bible. Okay, to be holy means to be set apart. It means sacred. It means to be physically pure, to be morally blameless. Okay, it means to be consecrated It means to be separate. Do you know that God is holy? He is so pure. He is so separate. He is so other. He is so more wholesome and righteous and pure in every facet of who he is. Scripture says in him is light and there is no darkness at all. The angels before his throne, day and night. I hate to break it to you, but they don't sing day and night, grace, grace, grace. They don't sing before his throne, day and night, love, love, love. And and look, I'm saying this, I just preached to you out of every single book in the New Testament almost about the love and grace of God. But the angels stand before the throne of heaven and they never cease day and night to say, say it with me, holy, holy, holy. Because what they see is so different. 
It is so separate. It is so other. It is so good. It is so pure. Come on, church. This is what you were made for. You were not made with an appetite for the darkness. Come on, church. You were not made with an appetite for sin. Come on, church. You were made in the image of a holy God to be holy as he is holy. And I'm telling you, on this side of the journey of sanctification is everything that you were created to be. It is the fullness of life. The Bible says, Proverbs literally says that wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. I have good news for you, church. Some of y'all are conflicted and you're miserable because you're standing over here trying to cling on to something from the life you were rescued from because you're afraid that if I give up on a little piece of that pleasure, a little piece of that passion, and I go all in, that it's not gonna be as fun over here. And I'm telling you something, church, in his presence is fullness of joy and in his holy is everything you were created by him to be. And if you, look, if you call on him as father, this is your father. This is relationship, okay? If you call on, this is 1 Peter 1, 17, who judges impartially to each one's deeds. I got news for you. This same God of grace in every chapter of the New Testament, he is also a God of justice and judgment. And it says, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Okay, wait, Chris, how do we just go from the grace of God to the fear of God? I'm telling you, church, they've got to be together, all right? We've got to preach this stuff together. Listen, there is an incredible relationship in the word of God that we're going to keep unpacking next week, okay? So, so please, if you're in town, come back. Look, I understand preaching on the fear of God is not a great way to build a church, okay? You're not gonna have the people flock in, but it is a great way to build the house of God because there is no house of God without obedience, holiness, and the fear of God. The fear of God is a reverence and awe of God. Have you ever stood on the edge of the Grand Canyon have you ever been hiking or gone up into one of these things and realized all of a sudden, I'm in some sketchy territory right now, and this is making me nervous? There's a healthy sense of awe and reverence when you are in the presence of somebody great. Band, come up here and join me. Okay, when you are in the presence of somebody great, there is a healthy sense of fear. This is why when Jesus filled Peter's two boats with fish after a night where they caught nothing, he fell on his face before Jesus in fear and said, depart from me, for I am a man of unclean lips. In a moment, he realized he was in the presence of something other something holy, and in his natural response was to fall 
and the presence of this greatness and say, I can't get away from me. I am not like you. Get away from me. I am a man of unclean lips. In the presence of a holy God, we cannot help but to see the things in us that are unholy. But I came to tell you, church, that that is not reason to run from him. It is reason to run to him, okay? Because look, his grace wants to meet you in your unholiness again and again and again and rescue from the darkness, from the places of complacency, from the places of compromise. He is always going to beckon you as a son or daughter into who you were made to be. Holy. Holiness is the most satisfying thing that you can find on this planet when you finally let go of all the other stuff and you realize, oh, wow. This thing that started in the garden where it was just me and him and not sin, that's a pretty good idea. I think it was probably enough to have God and not darkness. You think, we, we think Adam and Eve would have turned the clock back on that one pretty quick to just have him and not the one thing he said not to have? Oh, man, church, are you hearing the voice of the Lord today? I want you to stand with me as we respond. And I want you to know next week that I'm preaching on the Father heart of God, okay? Not the fear of God. But inside of God's heart as a good father is a father that Hebrews 12 says disciplines us in his love so that we might share in his what? Hebrews 12 says that God loves you so much. He has so much grace for you. He has so much affection for you that he actually, as a good father, disciplines you away from sin that you might share in his holiness. Here's how you know if you fear God or not. Will you let him discipline you? Will you let him correct you? Here's how you know if you fear God or not. When you read something in his word that convicts you, do you close your Bible or do you repent and change? But the story that I want to close with is about a woman in her shame caught in her darkness caught in the act of adultery you know this story we read in John that Moses came to reveal the law but Jesus came to reveal grace and truth don't miss this the Pharisees grabbed this woman caught in her sin and they drug her before Jesus and they said Jesus Moses says, the law says, stone this woman, stone this prostitute. Moses came to reveal the law. They were right. They were just calling on the old revelation, okay? 
Jesus said to them, nothing. He knelt. And he began to write with his finger in the dirt. Theologians, historians like to try to figure out what was he writing in the sand. But all I know is that if all of a sudden a robed rabbi kneels and starts scribbling in the dirt, everybody's looking at him, trying to figure out what in the world? If everybody's looking at him, writing in the dirt, who are they not looking at in this moment? Are you with me? They're not looking at this woman who is probably half naked, definitely embarrassed, and full of shame. He pulled all of their eyes of judgment. Come on, somebody. They pulled all of the law's judgment off of her and right to himself. And then he looked up and said, okay, let him who is without sin throw the first stone. You know the story? They start dropping their rocks and one by one they all walk away until it's just Jesus in the dirt and this woman. Remember, Moses came to reveal the law. Jesus came to reveal what? Grace and truth. Say it with me. Grace and truth. One more time. Grace and truth. And so he looks at this woman and he says, did nobody condemn you? Because you know there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ, right? He goes, did nobody condemn you? And she says, no one, Lord. Grace and truth. He looks at this woman in her shame and he says, neither then do I condemn you. Grace. And then he looks at her and says, now go and sin no more. Truth. Grace. Holiness. In this moment. This evening, I don't know where you're at in that story, but I believe that Jesus wants you to encounter his grace. There's a call into his holiness. But in this moment, he is looking at you and saying, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So we just say, come, Father. Meet us. Meet us here in this place in your word. We're just going to stay in our seats and just respond however you need to respond with the Lord. We're just going to rest here and respond for a couple minutes together. Continue to talk to the Lord. Invite him in. Look, if, if his spirit you know that his spirit is a holy spirit okay holy spirit is kind when he puts his finger on something in you that's not holy he's not 
doing that because he's mad at you. He's doing that because he loves you. Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit.